0: Welcome to episode 98 of Breakout Culture. I'm Charlotte Metcalf. I'm the Associate Editor at Country
1: and Townhouse Magazine. And I'm Ed Vasey, the Culture Editor of Country and Townhouse Magazine, the award-winning Country and Townhouse Magazine.
0: Indeed, indeed.
1: This is our last podcast before our Christmas break, and what better way to celebrate than by talking to my good mate, Kwame Kwayama, highly acclaimed artistic director of the Young Vic, about the theatre's new hit musical, Mandela. Mandela is played by Michael Lowy, known just as Lowy, who played both the title and Aaron Burr in Hamilton. Winnie Mandela is played by Scottish actor, Danielle Fiamagna, who played Elsa in Frozen. So this is London's most talked about show. It's the hottest ticket this Christmas. And we're delighted that Kwame's found time in his crazy schedule to tell us all about it.
2: Kwame. Beautiful to be on. I thought you sold this to me that I was going to be on episode 100. So, that, there's oh. that kind of, kind of beautiful <laughs> ring to it. But I'm happy with 98.
0: Well, we are so happy to have you back with us because we are so old now as a podcast that you're one of the few people who's now starting to come back again. And we are new, And actually, do you know we're over 100 now because we did do 10 as lockdown culture. So, we're actually on podcast number 108, if you can't Congratulations for that.
2: And thank you, actually. Thanks for speaking to me. I'm really excited about Mandela. You know, it, it, it's one of those pieces of work that when they reached out to me, the, the, the kind of a writers and, and an external producer, um, they said, Mandela, what do you think? And I was a bit like, Mandela, a musical? What, 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 what does that mean? Do you know, like a long walk to freedom with hip hop beats? I mean, I just, I didn't, couldn't quite work out what it would mean. And then, so actually I kind of, I kind of kind of avoided meeting for a little bit, and then eventually they tracked me down in New York and played me the music, and I fell in love. I fell in love with it's like everything that I want a musical to be: that it that it it feels emotional, that it gives me background around his family, which is really important because we all know the headlines, or most of us know the headlines. But he goes into his relationship with Winnie and and his relationship with his children, and 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 what it. And the melodies, because they often say in a musical, you should only sing when words won't do. And, and someone being in Robben Island, worrying about their child and then discovering that one of their children have died is something that is just right for a musical. You can't speak those words. You, you sing them.
0: Well, interestingly, I read something that Sheila Williams, the the director, said about music. And she said originally there was some spoken parts in this musical, but somehow that the singing elevated everything and made it even more brilliant, the whole story, and took it into a whole other realm.
2: Yeah, I mean, I I think Shirley's right. I mean, there's some spoken words, but it is a sung through. And, And that's quite hard, actually, because it means that you have to find the elevated moments at all times, Otherwise you kind of go, oh, why am I, why are you singing to me about past books? So it's, um, yeah. So the, the, it's, it's, I, I'm, I'm, I'm really proud of it. In fact, I'm, I'm here in New York at the moment. And so I was, I was watching a dress rehearsal by Zoom, like at 3 a.m. in the morning. And, uh, if I was, you know, and, and I, if I'm pleased at 3 a.m. in the morning by Zoom, then I'm, I'm, I'm really excited for when audiences start
0: to interact with it. Tell us a bit about the two South African brothers who have written the music and lyrics.
2: Yeah, Sean and Greg. I mean, they've kind of dedicated their life to this. I mean, there's a rumor that they've said that they're not going to get married or do anything else in their life until this is staged and, and out of their system. And uh, and I kind of believe it because they are really, really focused. Um, they're very, very talented. And, uh, you know, uh, without a shadow of a doubt, you know, they are two white South Africans. And so they, you know, they, they were always slightly nervous about whether they had the right to write this. And I think that that uh, my feeling is they are South Africans and they have the right to to tell a story. And we've got the Mandela family very closely involved in this. and And there are people from across the world and across the globe as part of the creative team. So I think their nerves are unfounded. The music is, is really, really beautiful. And hopefully they they will come out of this and will decide that they can get married and, and have another life other than just writing a, a musical.
0: How did they um, how did the Mandela family get involved? I mean, did, did was that you or did, did the no. brothers bring them with them or?
2: Yeah, the brothers and the producers, Brian and Dana Lee, they did all of that hard work. They went and, you know, and there were two ways. Sometimes you create a piece of work without, you, you know, the families because it can be really complicated or it can make it feel like it's a bit whitewashed and sanitized. And, and other times you you, you, you sit with a family and you say, you know, help guide us, help hold our hand through this. And so I'm really pleased that the Mandela family are are, are right. They're deeply embedded in this, not just as consultants, but as producers, because I think uh, he is a global icon and you kind of want to get it right.
0: This is
1: the first, this is the world premiere at the Young Vic or has it been staged somewhere else? No, yes, sir. It's the
2: world premiere. And how did you get the world premiere for this amazing musical? We're in a very fortunate position at the you know, People uh, see it as, as, as an exciting theater with an exciting audience. And, and the, the kind of work that we've been producing and you know, has said to the, to the sector that we're into work that feels uh, exciting and new and innovative, but, but also can have a commercial life as well. And so they kind of reached out via a choreographer, a friend of mine, uh, Greg Greencomer, who had choreographed Tree a piece that he and I did earlier on at the Young Vic a few years ago. And once he reached out to me, I knew that it would have integrity. And so, uh and then we began the dance of kind of doing workshops and then us saying, yeah, actually relatively funny, at least for me, is they were doing a workshop. I hadn't yet said yes. And um they, sat me next to a member, a prominent member of the Mandela family. And I was li- literally, as she leant over to me at the, just before it said, said, thank you Kwame for coming. We really do hope on behalf of the Mandela family that you enjoy <laughs> and that you wish to produce. I was just like, yo, if ever there was any pressure. <laughs> yeah, that That was it. So that's how it came to us. So yeah, yeah, they've been in and out of rehearsals. So th- there'll be no surprises. Um, you know, I I, 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 they're enjoying what they're seeing. What we did is we did a workshop at actually in London uh, this time last year, and they did a workshop in New York before I was involved. But it was the workshop in in London that made me uh, that made me say, okay, cool, this is something for us. There'll be people who love musicals, and there'll be people who hate them, and there'll be people who will think that it was a right thing to do to make this into music and there'll be others who go, what an awful idea. And that's secondary to me. What what's important is is will our audiences respond to this? And 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 was it right to to kind of musicalize this icon's life? And I, I happen to feel the answer to that is yes. The critics will say what what, what they will say.
0: Oh you've got some amazing Broadway starting this, so it's bound to head there, isn't it?
2: Well, I mean, you know, like everything, you build for success. I, I concentrate on one castle at a time. I mean, really interestingly, Um, Earlier on this year, I think we spoke about it, we premiered a piece called The Collaboration, which was about Andy Warhol and, and Basquiat. And Anthony McCartan, the writer, said, you know, literally while we were in rehearsal, said, look, okay, now I think we should make this into a movie. And then we should go to Broadway. And I was a bit like, okay, but let's just build one castle at a time. And we built the show at the Young Vic. And here we are having shot the feature film as well this year, and we're about to open the show on Broadway. And so in a kind of way, you you you, you build for the thing that is directly in front of you, but always thinking that if I get that right um, and the gods are with us, it can go on to fulfill a, a, a kind of commercial um, thing as well.
0: Yeah, and I see it the best of enemies that you did come on and talk to us about is now in the West End. So the young Vic is fast becoming the major gateway... (laughs)
2: You know, I'm, re- I'm, I'm really pleased at the moment. And again, we say one day at a time, sweet Jesus, as I believe Elvis Presley once said. <laughs> but, you know, right now we have two shows on Broadway, Death of a Salesman and the collaboration. And we have Best of Enemies in the West End. And then Oklahoma is coming in, in February into the West End. And we've made a major feature film of, of the collaboration. And so, you know, at the moment, we're feeling good about that. However... You know, it is, you are only as good as your last play. And if it, these things continue to grow and bounce, then we feel great about it. But that's not our, our overarching ambition. Our overarching ambition is just to do the best work that we can.
1: I could see Hamilton was a sort of genre-busting uh, musical that kind of moved the whole musical genre on.
2: Yeah.
1: I just get the feeling that everything's being turned into a musical now. I mean, much <laughs> as I was Nelson Mandela and would have loved to have met him. <laughs> And um, yeah, I just wonder whether, you know, uh, uh, will people think, I can't believe they're doing Mandela, is it just because they've done Hamilton and it's just become the thing to do?
2: And I think it's really valid, right? That's a really <laughs> valid point of view. However, I think we're living in a time where people want joy. Uh, we could just see my, you know, not that I do a lot of TikTok, but, you know, literally everything on my Instagram feed are people dancing, people <laughs> singing. I mean, I'm like, when has the world turned into Saturday Night Fever? It's like literally, and, and I think that is telling us something. And I also think that that nearly most subjects can be sung. The question is how you treat it. And so, I, you know, I think if people come and see it and go, I think this is horrible, the the fundamental idea of apartheid being sung is to. I, I, I you know, I, 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 have no fight with them for that. I, I find it valid. My job is, is that it, if something comes to me that feels that it's been musicalized uh, in a trivial fashion, my job as the gatekeeper is to say no. My, my job as a curator is to attempt to help things sit. And fulfill their potential in terms of their art and their integrity. So there will be people and there should be people who leave the theatre and go, why? Um, but, you know, and, and they're valid. But, but my hope is that the music will answer that question for the vast majority of people.
0: It's quite interesting you talking about uh, this this need for joy because Ed and I had English National Opera on the podcast a while ago talking about their new production of It's a Wonderful Life Mm. and I saw it at the weekend and literally there was not a dry eye in the house I mean everybody was just on their feet whooping I mean a lot of people saying don't go to Manchester too (laughs) (laughs) but um, but there was just it the joy it brought just bringing a somehow you know I mean the movies. kind of nice enough, but this did take it to a whole other level. We know the state of the world.
2: We know, you know, we know where we are. And I think the trends are just telling us, um, and it doesn't mean that we have to feed it every time, but the trends are telling us that there is, people want something elevated when it comes to entertainment. And I know that, uh, you know, many of us want to just think that theater is just art and not entertainment, but it is both. And I think, and, and I think my job as a curator is to create a season of work that that feels like a, a a very beautiful chord on a piano. That it has some dissonance and then it has some minors and it has some majors. The play we'll do next is is as far as you can get from Mandela, <laughs> the musical. And so, really, it, it, you know, I I would say that, that one should judge a season by by its breadth. But entertainment right now, pe- people people want to sing, people want to dance. And, uh, and, and I want to give them some of that.
0: Interesting you used the word further. So that leads, that segues, as Ed would say, very nicely into your next production, which is The yeah,
2: Further Than the Further Sea. <laughs>
0: Thank you very much. By,
2: by, the, by the brilliant Zinni Harris, directed by Jen Tang, who's one of our associate directors. And, and there's a very wonderful piece of philanthropy that happens at the Young Vic by the Genesis Foundation. And they fund us to, to bring an emerging director into the theater to understand how theater works. They sit with us for two years, understand it, uh, or get to understand the mechanisms. And, and then we give them a show, a main house show to direct. The last one that we did was Nadia Latif, who did a Pulitzer Prize winning show that caused a lot of, <laughs> of uh, well, from five stars to, to one star. It was called Fairview. And it was pre the summer of racial reckoning. It was looking at life through the black lens and speaking about the white gaze, quote unquote. And that's a Z and the an E at the end. And so um, and, and that was that was a real kind of shake the house moment and so we're hoping it's a slightly quieter play um, but it is about the environment that it is about families it is about how we negotiate the world that we find ourselves living in now and, and I'm, I'm very excited for the quieter version of uh, of exploration that this play will, will bring
1: I was just going to ask Comet to kind of comment on how he f- thinks theatre is doing at the moment I mean uh, we've just had another round of arts cuts. I mean, you've certainly put the young Vic on the map and the old Vic seems to be thriving just down the road from you. The National Theatre's got s- sort of new leadership, but we're struggling through an age of austerity, Mark Two.
2: Yeah, we, 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 we are an austerity Mark two is and will be, as we know, very, very painful. I think the NPO rounds were, I mean, and you know, I'm very thankful that, that we got standstill, and if not just a little bit more, and um, and some of our colleagues were completely cut, and my heart goes out to them as they wrestle with the ramifications of that. It's very interesting as I speak to you now, as I said, from New York, and Broadway, for instance, is struggling phenomenally in terms of audiences. The only shows on the whole, that are that are succeeding or that are doing well financially are musicals with really huge stars in it. Apart from Tom Stoppard, which is really great, but but straight plays are, are really struggling. Audiences are, audiences are are sixty percent of what they were and pre pandemic. Whereas actually in Britain we seem to have you know we seem to have got back into the groove. So I'm very very thankful about that in terms of audience and audience numbers. I think theatre will will we'll struggle in the next few years as disposable income becomes a real thing that people concentrate on. And that just puts extra pressure on us to create the kind of work that people think, actually, I will leave my house to come and see. And so, you know, there are some very big challenges that we are going to have to negotiate with and are negotiating with. But as always, I try and look at it a little sunny side up where audiences are coming back, and um, the work of our theatres, uh, as always, world-class. It will be hard, and we will need, as you often do, Ed, advocates for us at a government level that, 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 will, that will need to find ways to support us through what will be rough times. And we will need to, to, to keep speaking to government, to keep making our case, because, you know, we are not just a luxury, but I would say that, wouldn't I?
0: Yeah, well, no, I, I mean, I couldn't agree more, <laughs> nor could Ed. I know. But it's interesting what you say about the difference between New York and London audiences, because I read somewhere that Shella Williams was saying how absolutely delighted she was that this play was premiering. I and mean, she's a great Broadway director, isn't she, an actress? Yes, Is she, yes. And and I read she was thrilled it was opening in London, not just because of um, London's history of supporting the anti-apartheid movement, but maybe she saw something about our audiences that were generally more enthusiastic.
2: One of the things we wear proudly at The Young Vic is that our audience is magnificently diverse, and that is race, gender, and age. And age actually is the thing that, that thrills me the most, that one sits in an audience and can see everyone and London is being reflected back at you. And we are one of the great cities of the world. And so when you put art in one of the great cities of the world, in one of the great theaters uh, in London, um, particularly with a subject like this, I think it it can be, it has the potential to be a giddy mix. Broadway in New York can can skew older. and, And in one respect, Mandela, that serves Mandela, because many of our audiences would have lived through it. Actually, one of the things that we have to be very mindful of that um, the Young League is making sure that, that we are not taking information for granted, that people don't, <clears throat> that younger people come in and don't go, what is a past book? I've mentioned that before. Or oh, what did it really mean? What's the difference between the blacks and the colors and the Indians? We lived through it. What was, you know, what was sanctions really about? We, you know, we lived through it um, when we have to make sure to, that dramaturgically we don't take anybody for granted.
0: It's quite interesting. But culturally, there's a great sort of interest in South Africa at the moment. There's that brilliant William Kentridge exhibition yes, on the Royal yeah. Academy that's just phenomenally superb and opens a whole new way of looking at Johannesburg. I mean, it's absolutely sensational.
2: Kentridge is absolutely brilliant. Mm. Uh, and the Johannesburg that, that he captures... And Johannesburg itself, for me, is filled with a level of energy, life, color, light and creativity that is almost second to none. I love going to Johannesburg. I was there a few months before I came to New York. It's just just, the energy there. But I think South Africa is a very, very interesting moral question for us all. Mm. Um, You know, it, it is for the young in South Africa, on the whole, look at the Mandela generation and say, you let us down you um you, you sold us out that you know that looking at, at at wealth it is still disproportionately allocated to the old white families or Africana families or english families what have you given us the compromises you made um for us um we are not seeing it and so that's fascinating for me and for us as a culture as well as those of us who are old enough to remember or going on marches to free apartheid South Africa.
0: Mm. Um,
2: And also its music is so dynamic and its art and its animation is Mm. so dynamic. So there's every reason politically and artistically and morally for South Africa to be a place that continually piques our interest.
0: Just going back to the musical itself for a minute, because you focused on the 30 years, haven't you, from the shot the Massacre to his... Uh, release from prison. So it's really a resistance story. So you don't really cover the what he then goes on to do running the country. Correct. And and I love the
2: way that you frame it. It is a resistance story. And part of the reason why I wanted to programme this is because I think we are living in revolutionary times, whether we like it or not. And art has to recognise that and reflect that. And this is very much a, a piece that is that is meant to speak to the 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 times that we are living in now that is seeking norms to change rather radically.
0: I mean, just that's actually sending shivers up my spine, you talking like that. When you think about who might be the, you know, the the female Mandela to emerge from Iran or the the Mandela of China or. Look what's (laughs) correct. Look what's happening
2: in China. We, We kind of go where everywhere we look. We simply see now we've been there before, a little, well, we've been there many times before. But you know, in recent history, you know, 2011, the Arab Spring showed us that populist culture can can change a world. And and in a kind of way, we are there now. Um, you know, I, I look at the populist movements in the United States of America. I mean, it's radical. It's, you know, it's, there are radical things happening everywhere that we look. And and in a way, that's actually the major driver behind putting on something like Mandela, which is to capture revolution in its many forms.
1: Well, Mandela,
2: it's got a short run and ends in February. Where will it go after that? Fingers crossed it will do, it will, you know, it will go commercially probably into the West End or something. But that's the hope. But actually, as I said at at the beginning, Ed, you know, one castle at a time. Um, You know, we're we're building the best show that we can for the Young Vic. And no doubt we will learn and they will learn fundamental lessons that will make the next production um, even better.
1: But when it, it must be being shown in South Africa at some point.
2: Yeah, I mean, that's part of the plan, right? Right, you're absolutely right. It'd be like, yeah, everywhere except for South Africa, by the way. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I, I think, you know, and again, one will see. It, it's about when that will happen and what happens next. But, I mean, I want to be at the opening night of this show in South Africa. I, you know, I, I, I want to be there to see how it's received and the energy that will come off it. Particularly, as I've said, because it's it's probably more of a slam dunk here that it is there because they are amid the discussion around legacy in a in a
0: very uh, passionate and heated and focused way. You should take William Kentridge. Oh, Did he'll you? be there, I'm sure. <laughs> well, we we can't wait to see it. If you
2: hate it, it's really valid, you know. Really, if you're going to go, why are we musicalising it? It's really valid. But I really hope that the songs by the time we get to the end, the joy and the and and. And the story of of cost and of sacrifice, but through beautiful music, will 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 win the day.
1: Brilliant! Thank you very much.
0: Thank you so much, Kwame. It's great to have you on again. Excited. Lovely, lovely to to
1: lovely to have been asked. Take care, guys. See you later. Peace of love. Bye Bye. Bye.
0: Before we go, and as we've been talking about Arts Council funding cuts with Kwame, and I was saying how much I loved the English National Opera's production of It's a Wonderful Life, we thought we'd mention the near-death blow that the Arts Council cuts have dealt ENO. Stuart Murphy, who runs the opera company, was one of the first people ever to come on our podcast when he was already thinking up ways of keeping opera going during lockdown with his fabulous drive in production of Carmen at Alexandra Palace. So we're great fans of ENO, and if you feel like supporting it, you can petition to reinstate its funding you can sign the petition that's on their website at eno.org and share it on your social channels using hashtag love eno we'd hate to see eno forced out of london and i'm personally a great supporter and fan so if you love what they do as we do go and sign that petition
1: talking of opera we have cheering news of the winners of the voice of black opera grand final which took place last week at Birmingham Town Hall. The competition is organised by Black British Classical Foundation in collaboration with Welsh National Opera to showcase the finest Black and South Asian singers as they launch international opera careers. British singer Rachel Duckett took home the big prize of £10,000 plus the Sir Willard White Trophy. The South African singer Tando Menjanda was awarded the Samuel Coleridge Taylor Award and £5,000. The judges were chaired by the tenor and composer Tom Randall, and the winning singers will have fabulous opportunities to show off their skills. Rachel Duckett will be in concert with the Welsh National Opera after repertoire coaching with its music staff, and Tando Mangiana will get to sing a specially commissioned new work by Daniel Kidane for voice and ensemble with the Birmingham Contemporary Music Group. I hope you've got all that.
0: There were also the Ivor Novello Awards on the 15th of November, celebrating the best new music in classical jazz and sound art. The winners were announced during a ceremony hosted by BBC Radio 3's Hannah Peel and Tom Service at the British Museum. There were numerous winners for Chamber Ensemble. Brett Dean won for his composition Madame Ma Mabonser. Joanna Marsh won the Choral Award for her piece for Unaccompanied Choir. All Should Be Well. Liz Dilnot-Johnson won the Community and Participation Award for her Requiem for Refugees, When a Child is a Witness, and Tor Freeston won the Jazz Ensemble Award for Birds of Paradise. The Large Ensemble Award was won by Cheryl Frances Hoad for her song cycle, Scenes from the Wild, for Tenor and Chamber Orchestra, and Rebecca Saunders won the Orchestral Award for To an Utterance. Finally, Lawrence Crane won the Small Chamber Award for Natural World, and Hannah Conway won the Sound Art Award for her Three Pieces, Paul, I left my voice behind, and Tanya. Three exceptional composers, Sir George Benjamin, Judith Weir, and Talvin Singh, were also recognised with special Ivor Novello Awards for their innovation, influence, and legacy. You can, of course, find out many more details about those awards and where all the winner's music has been performed by going to their website at ivorsacademy.com.
1: The Turner Prize has been awarded to the Montserrat-born Veronica Ryan, the oldest winner yet at 66, a very popular choice given her beautiful, meditative and poetic sculptures. She created the first public artwork in Hackney to commemorate the Windrush generation, which featured bronze and marble sculptures of Caribbean fruit like custard apple, soursop and breadfruit. Jonathan Jones of the Guardian said it was the first prize in years worth caring about. So many congratulations to Bristol-based Veronica Ryan. As usual, you can find us at countryandtownhouse.com. You'll find the latest digital edition of the magazine there, as well as our sister podcast, House guest, Carol Annette, who talks to some of the most fascinating and influential names in interior design. We love your feedback. So we want to hear from you if there's something you'd like to hear us profiling, Please leave a comment or email us on charlotte at countryandtownhouse.co.uk.
0: We'll be back on Sunday, January the 15th. Thank you all so much for listening to us for a third year running. And we hope you'll join us again in the new year. Meanwhile, we hope you all have a very happy Christmas. Goodbye. Take care. Bye.